Speaking of being in the works for a while, well, I've tried to track this man down for a long time. He was oh. one of the legends of Australian football. He started as a phys and a sports scientist back in the 90s. Uh, got, he was there when Adelaide went back-to-back, 97, 98. Uh, then he's transitioned into an AFL coach, and then he's transitioned to everything uh, <laughs> the sport had to offer. And he's one of the best at it, uh, and that's Neil Craig, and he joins us. G'day, Neil. G'day, Jack. Uh, thanks for having me on, mate. It sounds like you've done a bit of homework, so... Well, no, big fan, <laughs> mate. I'm as a Melbourne supporter as well, mate. I mean, you helped our footy club out for a little bit there as well. Yeah, so that was sort of uh, post, post-Adelaide, um, you know, so uh, there was Melbourne, and then I spent a couple of years at Essendon, yes. um, and then a couple of years at Carlton before I sort of... Uh, sort of left the AFL for a period of time, um, you know, and went to, uh, with Eddie Jones when he was coaching England rugby. So um, it's been a good journey. Um, the good thing about it, Jack, is uh, you see a, a wide variety of um, different sporting environments, you know, different sports, but also different environments within the same sport. Uh, some good, some bad, some ugly, um, which is always important to see a cross-section of it. Otherwise, uh you know, sometimes you think everything's bad or everything's really, really good. So uh, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change anything. So it's been it's been a fantastic journey for me, and hopefully uh, a bit more to continue yet. Well, just to also to, to recognise you as well. You're a two-time premiership player in the Sandfall and a Norwood uh, captain. So you know uh, your record speaks for itself. Uh, yeah, well, I got I got great memories of. Um, uh, of, of playing football in the SANFL in, in South Australia, in particular Adelaide, and once again at three different clubs, um, you know, which were all which were all different in culture, but um, probably in reality, I, I sort of started at the Norwood Football Club and uh, and ended up uh, back at the Norwood Football Club. That's where I sort of started my probably first serious coaching job. So, um, great memories of the SANFL, um, fantastic memories. Neil, it was here. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, when you go into something new or you've had to start something new, how do you sell yourself for that position? What what do you bring? Uh, well, it's probably more them making contact with me was. so, um, uh, and, and that's probably important from my perspective is that people maybe have some interest in whether you can add value to their environment. Um and probably where I sit now, um, my belief would be that because of the range of experiences that I've that I've had, both you know as a sports scientist, um, as a player in the SANFL, um, as an assistant coach, as a senior coach in the AFL, um, and a range of other sports, rugby, um, soccer, uh, cycling. When I was a sports scientist at the uh, South Australian Sports Institute and the AIS. Uh, I think you, you, you bring in a different lens. You bring in, a, a, if, for want of a better word, a second set of eyes. Um, and so probably the conversation, the initial conversation is, um, you know, what are they looking for? What's your organisation looking for? And are they up for um, some possible different observations, some ways of doing things differently? Not forcing those, Not forcing those views on people. Uh, certainly not about that, but I think having having been in a range of different environments to go into a say even even a new AFL environment, you bring a you bring a different perspective because you've seen different things. 
Um, and and so if they're up for that and they're, they're open-minded and the best organisations are, in, in fact, they are open-minded because they, they, they understand the need to continually improve, to look to do things differently and better. And so sometimes you can become cocooned in your own environment if you if that's all you know. So to get to get outside perspective, outside set of eyes, uh, can be can be quite um, I think quite healthy. And so it's if, if they don't want it, um, you know that that conversation finishes pretty quickly. So and, and that's okay. Yes, yes. Well, the, the one guy that uh, speaks uh, well to that to almost to a word is is Malcolm Blight, and he was yeah sort of first. Uh, sort of coach when you're at the Crows and um, you helped him go back to back. I mean, two guys that sort of looked at the world a bit differently. Uh, that would have been fun to work with him. No, it was. It was. Um, it was. It was. It was fun to work with Malcolm. Um, he uh, he came to Adelaide as a well. I mean, his playing record speaks for itself, um, both in South Australia and in and in the VFL slash AFL. And of course, he was a hardened he was a hardened coach when he came to Adelaide. Um, I think he coached North Melbourne for one or two years. Um, had left them, then then had got Geelong into um, grand finals without actually having the ultimate success. So when he came to Adelaide, um, Jack, he he was very clear about what was required in his mind, having been through having been through the ups and downs of of the coaching world. Uh, and, and you know, and playing and coaching some really highly successful teams, um, and so he was probably the thing that stood out to me, you know, as a snapshot from Malcolm, was his absolute clarity of how he wanted the game played, absolute clarity, and he expected uh, and coached in a manner he expected the the players to have an understanding of it, and he coached in that manner, um, and it, in general, it was a, it was a uh, quite an attacking style of game. Um, which I'm, I'm, I have no doubt the players enjoyed, um, you know, from day one with that. Um, and he was, uh, you know, good enough to go back to back. So that was that was a really successful period for the Adelaide Football Club and, and very enjoyable for people who were involved in it. And if we sort of look at sport holistically, from your opinion too, um, we did speak to Darren Burgess about this as well, that we, the AFL have created, and the perfect example of it is... Um, Mason Cox, they've created something out of something. Can we see that possibly in the future we're going to be able to create more players from from different areas? Uh, in different areas, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm just, well I think just we we kind of usually your, your product through football is to is to come through the ranks and grow up playing and and have that. But with Mason, what we've done is is basically to yeah. So do you think we're going to like find find ways of doing that even better? Well, yes and no. Um, I mean, um, uh, I mean, they're, they're, those guys are outliers, and and I think I think the key thing is that um, you know the, the the game of AFL caters uh, to give those types of players opportunities. Um, but you know, to go down that path is uh, is labour intensive. Um, it can be high risk. Um, I know when I was when I was at the Adelaide Football Club and and uh, and coaching, um, you know, and some other AFL clubs, um, like particularly with some of the Irish players that would come over, um, fiercely competitive, great athletes, uh, great attitude towards their footy, uh, but often got homesick, you know, and um, and with an investment would would go home, and 
So all I, I guess all I'm saying there is you keep an open mind about the possibility of that occurring um, because, once again, the best organisation, the best clubs do keep an open mind, but there's enough people in, there's enough people in Australia um, who play AFL uh, and, and, and footy all over, all, all over the country. That's where I'd be putting my resource um, because of the nuances of the way the game's played. You know, it's a, it's a tough game. And speaking of speaking of tough games, rugby union, um, yeah, you've had some time there. What did what did you make of what do you make of your time there and and the athletes they are? Uh, well, they're different athletes, um, obviously, because it's a you know it's a, particularly rugby union. Uh, it's a very combative game, you know. It's uh, particularly your sort of uh, your, your big front rowers and, and your forwards uh, are huge men, combative men. Uh, you know, with uh, particularly in the scrum and, and their and their ball carry and their tackling and whatever. Um, but in general, for the work that I do uh, was, um, apart from the technical side of the game, um, which I tend not to get involved in because it's you know you, you you need to sort of grow up in the sport to a to a large extent to have any significant input in that. Um, the the work I do is is no different whether it's AFL, uh, rugby union. Uh, cycling, um, you know, whatever sport you you want to name, you know, um, soccer, football, um, in terms of, you know, uh, the relationships, um, dealing with difficult players, quality of coaching, developing environments where people can thrive, um, being able to to um, to help players develop a mindset where they can actually you know, be at their best under pressure. That's all very common through all the sports, you know, when you're talking about working at the at the highest level, international level, AFL or whatever the case may be. So but people often ask me, well, you know, how can you go from AFL to rugby to soccer to, you know, uh, to cycling or, or whatever the case may be? Um, and and that, and that's the reason because in reality there's not much difference between all the all the the classical coaching uh, skills required and and it, the issues that you face. Can you can you just give us an insight into yeah all that sort of stuff and and being at the uh, at, being at for the Wallabies at the World Cup last year it was it, we were so fascinated in it and unfortunately sort of it was a, one of our worst results we've ever had at a Rugby World Cup. Can you just give us an insight of what it was in like internally? Uh, well, internally, um, it's probably completely different to what. Um, um, your general spectator or supporter or a football or, or sporting fan would expect. You'd, they'd probably expect, you know, that there's uh, uh, unsettledness, um, you know, unrest with players. In actual fact, the, the playing group, from my perspective, uh, Jack and Was, they were exceptional, absolutely exceptional um, in, in, the, in the way they embraced the program that Eddie and the coaches put together. Uh, you know, which was done under um, the pressure of time, um, with the way it all worked out. Uh, it was a, it was a, you know, a new, a new game plan, if you like, for want of a better word, that Eddie wanted to introduce. It was a new way of training. Um, some, some of the support people we had around them was new, and uh, you know, the, the concept of on-field leadership and leadership development was new for them. So there was a lot of newness in the program. Some people would argue maybe too much, you know, in that short period of time going into a World Cup. Um, but I, I, in terms of the way the players conducted themselves and the way they embraced the program, um, I, I personally, I, they were fantastic. 
absolutely fantastic. And that might that may surprise some some of your listeners, but uh, that's exactly what that's how I felt with it. Well, that's real, it's real interesting. I mean, particularly with what was sort of being reported on throughout it as well with Eddie Jones and his discussions and, well, you know, it ended up being his his future at the end of it um, and the, the leaked story that came out that he was talking to Japan bef- before or during uh, the tournament and then he's, uh, he's now gone and uh, signed a, a long-term deal to coach them. I mean, was was it any sort of, sort of confusion or anything like that uh, amongst the top? Well... If there was, Jack, I didn't see it. Um, now, that doesn't mean there wasn't um, because sometimes, you, you know, um, people are not prepared to, to put that on the table if, if there is confusion, but I, I certainly didn't detect that. Uh, what I do know is that uh, when Eddie signed his contract, um, you know, and this is from my perspective, uh, he, had, he had every intention you know, of a long-term situation with the Wallaby. I know he's got a great emotional attachment to, uh, to Australian rugby because he's coached the Wallabies before. Um, and so, you know, he, he, in his own mind, that was, that was what he was going to do. Clearly some circumstances changed, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's got to be really good alignment in any organization, um, for it to be successful. And if that alignment's not there, as in, you know, either party or both parties, you know, uh, are not happy with what's going on, you are best to, to part your ways because it won't work. So, you know, and without going into all the details, um, what I do know is Eddie, Eddie um, went into that situation with a, with a really strong attitude of, of wanting to coach the Wallabies right to the end uh, and, you know, unfortunately didn't turn out and um, he's been able to get another job in Japan, which I, I'm sure he'll thrive in and it looks like the Australian Rugby Union are going to move on and, and uh, you know, with their appointment of Joe Smith, who's a highly, highly credentialed international coach. Um, it looks like they've, they've they've made some really good ground as well. But was there was there any sort of yeah was there any sort of differences to the way Eddie was reacting or acting up or anything like that throughout the tournament to to you know sort of lead anyone on or anything like that? Uh, not from my perspective, no. Jack. No, no, and I, you know, I take Eddie at his word. Yeah. Um, so. Um, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think he made some public statements about what happened, what didn't happen. You know, in terms of other other coaching jobs, and uh, I, 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 I took him at his, on his word. No, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, let's get back to footy. And now we've uh, had uh, a couple of great chats with Anthony Kudafidis and Jason Akermanis the last couple of weeks, uh, talking about their preseason hell stories. Uh, mm. I'm sure you've uh, you've put your players through a fair bit. In the off season, uh, what's the toughest thing you can remember putting your players through? Well, it's probably back in the Malcolm Malcolm Blight um, era at the Crows, guys. It would be because back then it was it was um, when Malcolm came to to the Crows. It was sort of in the uh, as you said 90, 90, end of ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, and it was sort of in the transition of AFL going full time. Okay, it was just entering into that that full time zone, um, and I remember Adelaide. Basically, we trained three days a week. We trained, I think, Monday in the preseason. We trained Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, and we had thirteen weeks of preseason um, before, uh, and that was before Christmas. <laughs> okay, yep. yeah, yeah, and sort of, and uh, and and we trained hard. We trained hard. I mean, we were probably, in in hindsight, on reflection of it, uh, the amount of work that we put into them, um, 
in that in that three three times a week for that thirteen week period before Christmas and after Christmas um, was probably bordered on too much. Right, yeah. Um, you know, on reflection. Not with but, two flags. Um, having having said that, um, what comes with a demanding physical program is uh, is becomes a, a very demanding mental mental uh, stress as well. Yes. So you actually you actually get to develop some real mental resilience and uh, you know your capacity to work hard to recover quickly, to come back and work hard again um, to ma- to uh, to embrace the mundaneness of of being a high level athlete. You know, and it is mundane. It's, yeah. it's it's you go again and you go again, and so. Apart from the physical, you know, the physical benefits of that type of program that was in place back then, uh, I have no doubt that there was also a strong mental component that came to the fore maybe later on, you know, in 97, 98 in particular, um, that was of real benefit to the team. Yes. Well, one of the, one of the funnier ones we've heard was uh, Darren Creswell was telling a story about uh, Dave Misson and his yeah. time at Sydney, and they were saying that uh, Dave Misson made the Sydney boys go on a – what was it, 10 kilometre time trial? Mm. Uh, did you ever think of doing something <laughs> silly like that? <laughs> well, back in those days, it was, um, you know, because of the nature of the game, um, it was, uh, you know, based on the rules and, and so forth and interchange and, uh, you know, lack of interchange and rotations and so forth. It was much more like a, a, an aerobic or a, an endurance game. Yeah. And so there was a lot more distance running you know, longer distance, continuous running back in those days of preparation. Uh, 10K time trial is pretty grueling. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, we used to do, uh, we used to do, Malcolm's favourite test was uh, five by one kilometre time trials. Oh. So you do it, you do a time trial, you run a kilometre as fast as you can. I think you had about a two or three minute break, then we'd do another, we'd do five of those, um, <laughs> you know, and, and the accumulation of the time is what we looked at. So, um so yeah, it was it was brutal. But having said all that, guys, yeah. um, all you really all you're really doing is that when you 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 start from you start from what what does the actual game present to you? So what what are you preparing these guys to actually be exposed to? Uh, probably in the toughest conditions is where you start. Okay, and you're sort of for want of a better word, you reverse engineer from that. So you work your way back from that. And so there are times when you've actually got to train people really hard because otherwise you're going to put them in an environment that you haven't prepared them for. Mm. Yeah, no, fair And that is totally irresponsible to do that. Yeah. So, um, you know, there is – now that, that can be – you can, you know, that can be uh, – you can overtrain, there's no doubt about that. But any, any program um, that doesn't expose their athletes to, a, you know, to a, a, a high – High intensity training and, and and big workloads at some stage, uh, I would I would be prepared to argue that they're not actually they're not actually preparing their athletes for the the environment they're putting them into, and that's not fair. No. That's not fair to the athlete. That's awesome. No. And the bottom line is, with all that, yes. that's why that's why high end high performance sport is not for everyone, and that's okay. Yeah. yeah. No. And that's okay, but it's not for everyone. Well, just, Not for me. <laughs> I couldn't do that. Hey, Neil, we'll have to leave it there, mate, unfortunately. Uh, we've got to keep moving. But really appreciate you giving us so much of your time. Absolutely fascinating, uh, yep. your it. sporting life, mate. We'd love to get you on again and uh, talk about your coaching and, and your your other stuff if we can in the future. No, that'd be good, Jack. And uh, thank you, was as well. And thanks, for, and thanks guys, for being so patient in, in chasing me down. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Neil. <laughs> thanks, guys. Not a problem. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, Neil Craig there, uh, former 
Adelaide coach and uh, phys editor and done lots of other things. 